in uh, Ontario, Toronto, where Lois and I lived before moving here. A number of the people in the, uh, the one church where we served in suburban Ontario, some of them have two, some of them had three houses. Most of them had two houses. In the winter, they lived in Florida. In the summer, or I should say in the spring, for those who had three, they lived in the city of Toronto. And in the summer, they lived in North Toronto, where you wouldn't want to step into some of their living rooms. It was called cottage country, but it was no cottage. It, it, it's, it's some of the richest people, Americans as well as Canadians, live up in cottage countries. Some of them you need a plane to get into some of the islands that they own. In fact, when we were watching um, um, HGTV and they showed buying islands, we would see some of them and one or two of them, we were on those islands, but we were invited. <laughs> uh, there's no way we could even, uh, even get close to, to one of those. Your salvation is also two spheres. Your salvation includes now, and it includes somewhere else. And I call your attention to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7, as I read it and take that for our meditation for the scriptures this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7, and I'll have you remain seated for the reading of God's word um, for this time. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. Please listen as I read. I say 4, chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive. The King James translation has a very wonderful word there, quickened, quickened, to make alive again, as it, as it were. When we were dead, made us alive with Christ, together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And this is a sentence, there's no break. It just goes, we have um, verse 6. Unfortunately, the, 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 these are not inspired things. They help us, but here it does not. Because this text should read this way. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and goes back to God, who raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Thus, the reading of God's word. 
I don't have time or is time allotted to me for us to understand what Paul is saying here. It is so rich. I spent some time listening to others um, dealing with this text. And I'm always excited about this because um, I am not copying anybody. I'm just looking at the text and sit and allow myself to be embraced by the text and God reveals such wonderful, wonderful things about his word. As I was studying the text, I couldn't escape the thought. I wonder if this message is going to bring nothing but a yawn from you. You are familiar with it. When I talk about the three things that motivated God for our salvation, it, it is possible that we, we almost psychologically turn off. I've heard that before. May I remind you that C.S. Lewis, when uh, telling of how the devil works, says one of the ways in which the devil works is to say the same old thing, the same old thing. And as soon as you hear that, you turn it off, and by the time you turn it off, he puts in your minds things that do not belong there. Yet the text before us is intended to awaken or to prevent us from, from, from retreating into a kind of a deja vu attitude with our salvation. Someone has rightly said, our faith does not explain everything it does. However, it gives us enough insight for the journey. And, and, and Paul is telling us that, that when we read these words from, from Ephesians 2, he's doing three things. He's looking back. He's looking up. And he's looking forward. But for you and for me, I'll show you what this means when I say the two spheres of our salvation. This section that I'm reading, verses 1 to 7, shows God in action to bring true believers from the dead that they were once in to the life they now have. There are three steps in salvation. Number one, we are saved from the penalty of sin. This is what Jesus did on the cross. Today, we are saved from the practice of sin. Because we have been delivered from it, it no longer controls our lives. So step number two is we are delivered from the practice of sin. Stage number three, we are delivered from the presence of sin. There is coming a day when we will no longer have to deal with this thing called sin. My friends, I don't know if you realize what sin has done to you. If I realize what sin has done to me, if we realize what sin has done to the world. Paul says there are three motivations that was in the mind of God 
when he developed the scheme to save you and to save me. We hear them again and again. Verse 4, part A says, But God, and, and, and that's a, you know, let me give you what this means. Have you been talking to someone and you say, This person is this and this and this, but. The moment you put that but in there, it creates something that wasn't there before. It creates a contrast to what was being said. And Paul is talking about where we were before God saved us. Verses 1 to 3. The condition was devastating, deadly. We were all there, says St. Paul, including himself. And then in verse 4 he says, But God, who is rich in mercy, God, who is rich in mercy, Think, think of that, friends. That's, that's what you fill in there. Mercy is a disposition in God by which He is moved with a feeling of pity for the condition, listen, of those who are rejecting Him. It is a feeling in God by which He feels a sin, uh, feel a sense of pity. For those who are rejecting him, who are living under the control of a demonic power that is controlling everything about them. It is everywhere, says St. Paul. The spirit lives in the, in the, in, in the air. It is, it is north and south and east and west. It, it is in the church. It is outside the church. Wherever you go, you will find sin. And Paul says, but God, looking at us, to what sin was doing for us. Let, let, me, let me share with you, again, if you can use your imagination here. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were going in the opposite direction of God that they had always enjoyed. But when sin entered... It did something concerning God to them and them to God. And in spite of what it did, they were going in that direction and God was following them. That's mercy. He knew the misery they were in. He knew the pain that sin had actually brought into their lives. And God felt a sense of pity. That's a hard thing to explain, friends. You know, when you think of this, when the devil rebelled against God, he didn't feel for the devil as he felt for you and me. I can't explain that. God did not, did not chase the devil. He actually evicted him from heaven. But in the garden, God follows those made in his image. And he shares a sense of concern for them. Moses means, means to tell us that God cares. God cares. It's an old song. We don't sing it anymore in our book. 
Talk about God saving us. Mercy there was rich and free. God did not have to have mercy on us. He chose to have mercy on us. Do you feel that you need mercy this morning? Do you ever feel so confident in who you are that God doesn't have to give you what he has given to others? In fact, I shared with a group a week ago about this woman who said, I don't see what the big thing is about sin. I don't see why God has to, that sin had to mean that he had to give his son. That's because she doesn't, she doesn't understand who God is. She missed the point. My friends, if you knew what sin has done to God's perfect, perfect scheme, I, I don't know how, why, but it happened. And Paul said, mercy resides in God so that when you hurt, when you are in distress, when you feel that life is, is falling in on you, you have one who cares. That's why I asked Paul to read that text from from uh, Hebrews 1. After he purged our sins on the cross, he went up to heaven. And we, we sang it this morning. From there, to in, intercede for us, God continues to care in mercy from us from heaven where Jesus is this moment. Don't yawn. Ask God to help you to grasp the mystery of this. That God cares enough for human beings. You know, I was telling someone, I was in a meeting yesterday. I was in a meeting Friday morning and a meeting, uh, and, and I, I said it to someone, Martin Luther, the reformer, <laughs> said this, if I were God and people treat me the way they treat God, I'd send them out to hell. He, he looked and he saw, he saw how people were despising the one who is showing them mercy. And he, Luther said, if I were God, I'd say, oh, is that what you want? Go ahead. But God didn't do that. Thanks be to God, he's not Martin Luther. He's God. And friends, I can tell you there are times in my life when I feel that high and I need mercy. I need mercy. He goes on to talk about God's love. Listen to how he puts it. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love. Now it's interesting, most of the time when that, that, that adjective uh, great is used, it's usually used that we get our word mega. Mega, to be big. This is not this word. You know what this, this is? The word, the, the, he, the Greek word that is used there is a word because God, in the many ways in which he displays his love. That's what the word great means. The many ways. In more ways than can be numbered. There is, is, is no mathematical way by which you can prove the degree of God's love. St. Paul said it is past finding out one verse of that hymn 
that song we like to sing. <laughs> the love of God. One verse was found written in a prison. And this is a verse we sing. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stark on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contains to hold those threats from sky to sky. God's love. My friends, I would not be surprised that there is someone listening to my voice this morning that's saying, I wish I could experience that. I wish I could experience the many ways in which God loves me. And I'll tell you, begin at the cross. Begin at the cross. I heard the story of a missionary who was on the mission field. True story. And he was having, in fact, after the, the, the speaker spoke, he went up to the speaker and said, Sir, I have a question to ask you. This was a missionary speaking to a visiting speaker. He said, You said something this morning, and I want to tell you my experience. First mistake, my experience. He said, For years and years and years, I suffer from a low self-esteem. I struggled with it. And I went to see a man. And this man said, I want to take you through a process. And he said, you feel that you're not loved, right? Yes, that's the way I feel. He said, I want you to imagine now, I want you to imagine that you're going back into your mother's womb. And I want you to imagine coming out of your mother's womb. And I want you to imagine that you're being spanked on your bottom by loving hands. And this person said, that set me free from my low self-esteem. The speaker said to him, I, I cannot argue with you that you went through that experience, but I want to ask you a question. What is God's greatest expression of love for the church? He said, well, the cross. Then he said, if, if that is God's greatest expression of love for you, why did you have to go somewhere else to have someone put you through something that is almost virtually impossible? We cannot psychoanalyze ourselves into the love of God. We must accept it. We must receive it. And Jesus was so confident in this that when Nicodemus was, was fighting this idea of God's love, and by the way, only Christianity talks about a God who loves its people. Every other religion talks about a religion that people have to fight to get that love. Christianity is God's love to us. And so Jesus said to Nicodemus, For God 
so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What great love. Please listen, friends. God's love existed before time in eternity. And God's love has been shed abroad in your hearts, in your hearts, in your hearts, in your hearts. But that has not diminished the love of God. God's love is still intact in time as it was in all eternity. If there should be billions and billions and billions and billions of people who believe in Jesus Christ, it does not diminish the love of God. What great love he has loved us with. Thirdly, God's grace. In verses 5 and 7, it's talked about grace, but there's a little word in, in grace. is the riches of his grace. There is the rich God who is rich in mercy, and there is the riches of his grace. One speaks of the content and the other speaks about the, the, what I would call the distribution, the riches of his grace. And, and you may have heard it, but I'll take it for granted that you haven't. Grace. What is grace? Grace is God's riches at Christ, G-R-A, God's riches, or his, his, his resource in Christ. A is for a GR, the riches. The G is for God. The R is for riches. The A at Christ's expense. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. It is one of the richest words in the Bible, that word grace. And what grace really means is that God acts toward those who do not deserve it without looking for anything in return. God's riches at Christ's expense. I went back, looked for an old hymn because that's where you find these great hymns just listen quickly. Grace, it's a charming sound, harmonious to the ear. Heaven with echo shall resound and all the earth shall hear. What? That was grace that wrote my name in God's eternal book. It was grace that gave the, me to the Lamb who all my sorrows took. Grace taught my wandering feet to tread the heavenly road and new supply each hour I meet with while pressing on to God. Grace taught my soul to pray and made mine eyes o'erflow. It was grace which kept me to this day and will not let me go. Oh, let thy grace inspire my soul with strength divine. May all my powers to thee aspire and all my days be thine. Saved by grace alone. This is all my plea. Jesus died for all mankind, and Jesus died for me. The riches of his grace. And my friends, there is something else. See, what I've been talking about so far is our salvation here. And let me quickly get you to verses 5 to 7. Because our salvation 
talks about we are here now, but we're also somewhere else, even now. Sounds kind of spooky, doesn't it? He, Paul begins by, by showing what we were, the condition we were in. You were dead in trespasses and sin. You were dead. And the proof of your death is to see how your life was being lived. You were controlled by sin, by Satan, by his influence. You get this all in verses 1 to 3. You were dead. I was dead. Paul said, we were dead, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy, who is great in love, whose riches of grace came to my rescue. He saw me plunge in deep distress and came to my rescue. Just like I am, as Charlotte Elliott likes to write, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. That's the condition we're in. I wish I had time to develop, but I'll just give you the text. There's a beautiful, beautiful incident in the book of um, 2 Kings. 2 Kings 13, 20 to 21. Don't turn there. Just listen for a moment. You can check it later on. It's about Elisha. Elisha. Elijah is in one kings. Elisha is in two kings. And Elijah became sick with a sickness that killed, that took his life. And there was a war going on at the same time. And that war was so intense that there was a dead body being taken to be buried. And as they were, they were, they were taking the body to the, to, the, to the tomb, they saw the enemy coming. And took, this is almost funny, but it's not ha-ha funny. They saw the, 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 uh, the, 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 the enemy coming, and they quickly took the body, and they threw it into the tomb in which Elisha was. And as soon as that body touched Elisha's dead body, guess what happened? He came alive. Not Elisha, but the dead man. My friends, there's a, there's a greater miracle than that. You were dead in trespasses and sin. I was dead in trespasses and sin. And when our faith landed in Christ's death, we became alive. We became alive. Here we are. Sometimes we feel so absolutely terrible in life, yet, my friends, we are alive. Our life is not simply what you see here. Paul tells us something wonderful about this being made alive again. We're going to begin to relate to a different sphere altogether. Uh, let, let me, I have this in my notes to remind me to say it. Jesus Christ did not come to make good people better, but to make dead people live. We were dead. But when he made us alive, he made us alive in our connection with Christ, our faith in Christ, our trust in Christ. And when he made us alive, God did something that sometimes we don't even think about it. You will find some help in looking at Romans chapter 6 verses 1 to 5 in this. When we were baptized into Jesus, 
we became alive with Him. Listen, in Ephesians chapter 1, God's power raised Christ from the dead. In Ephesians chapter 2, chapter 2, God's grace raised up for us from the dead. Grace, the power of death was destroyed when Christ was raised. The power of sin is destroyed when we are raised. Oh, I tell you, I, I, I sat... I don't mind telling you this. I sat two days wrestling over this text. Because listen to what it says. When Jesus Christ, when we were raised with Christ, God placed us out of the sphere of sin and placed us in Christ. And if he placed us in Christ, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to ask the question, where is Christ now? You can say it. Where is Christ now? In heaven. And that's where you are. That's where you are. That's where you are. That's where I am. That's the two sphere. I can't explain it. But this much I know. Listen to Paul's. Listen to Paul in uh, Philippians 3. For our citizenship is in heaven. As wonderful as the American citizenship is, my friends, nothing compared. Nothing compared to our citizenship in heaven. Because where we are in Christ, listen to what Paul says in Colossians 1. If you are then risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we shall also appear with him. We are not simply citizens of this country, wonderful as it is. And, and we need to begin to allow this to register, friends, because some of us live like this is it. But this is not it. When I first came here, uh, Paul was leading in prayer a couple of Sundays, I, he would say uh, how wonderful it was to be an American, to live, to be an American citizen. And every time I, I heard that, I would whisper in my ear, there's a better citizenship. There's a better citizenship, friends. That's where you are. When you're walking down Main Street, when you're walking on 2nd Avenue, when you're walking on, on, on whatever street you live on, you might, you might feel that you're all alone. But listen, you are hidden so securely that the devil cannot touch you. Remember when he wanted to take Peter? Jesus said, I have prayed for you. And that's what Jesus is doing now, where you are and where I am. Let me, my time is out. Let me, the last part of that, there, there is, there is this, this movement, the malady that described the way we were. There is the mystery of having been taken out of that and placed in Jesus to be where he is now. And then the last, very briefly, is the magnitude of our salvation. Look at verse 7. He has, he has shown mercy and love and grace that in the ages to come, there is a time coming that is not yet. 
that God, by His love and His mercy and His grace, is working. And grace will reach its climax in our salvation. And listen to what the text says. That in the ages to come, He might show the word there to put on exhibition. He might show to the principalities and power the surpassing kindness of His grace. Listen, there might be times of ecstasy now with our salvation, but it is nothing compared to its completion. Nothing. God is going to put... Can you imagine? I, I was thinking of this. I don't think... Do they, do they still have the Miss America pageant? I think with me too, I think... That I, I, I never watched it, so I don't know. But, but that's what will happen. You will be on display... You will, you will be on the platform of the universe. And God is going to say, she is mine. He is mine. She is mine. Look at what grace has accomplished. My friends, I hope that you, you're looking forward to that. That, that. that this is one of these days, God is going to put me on display. Not for my sake. Not to say how wonderful Winston is. But how rich is the kindness of the grace. He saved you for himself to put you on display. And he has you secure in heaven. Secure in heaven. No one can pluck them out of my father's hand. And a day will come when he will put you in the public view. The demons of hell will look upon what they're missing and they'll become envious of you because of what the grace of God has accomplished for you. That's our legacy. That's our two sphere of salvation. Oh, now we're drinking the cup. Now we see darkly through a glass, but then face to face. Beloved, says John, we do not know what it shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Grace, love, mercy. Let's pray. Oh God, how, how, can, we, how can we fully explain the spheres of salvation? In the one sense, we can't see either because we're living 2,000 years after Calvary. But, oh God, we have been affected by it. On the other hand, the eons to come, not yet, but it's coming. And we will be there because that's where Jesus is coming from and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Jesus prayed, Father, I would that those whom you have given me to be with me where I am, that they might see how much you love me. We still don't know it here, and we will get the glimpse and the continuing unfolding of mercy, of love, of grace there when God puts us on display to shame the devil and his angels that the grace of God is better than the devil's lie. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.